everyone, welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. It's day 12 of the Women's World Cup. We're right in the thick of it, the final round of group games, and I'm joined by Jesse Parker Humphreys, Becky Taylor Gill, and for the first time this tournament, Mr. Ian Wright. I know you've been dying to get on the pod for the first few weeks because you have so much to say. <laughs> I have got quite a lot to say, but I just like, you know. I just come back from that game and it was really cool and that it's, it's just been really cool here, you know. Have you been having a good time? Can't lie. Yes. Yes, because everybody's really cool. <laughs> Whether it's New Zealand or Australia, everybody just says sweet as and sweet, <laughs> nice. Can't do enough. Yeah, you've been... It's just so brilliant. You've been on a little all road, road trip, haven't you? You were in New Zealand for a little bit? Yeah, it's travel long. <laughs> and what, what have the highlights been so far? Um, probably the Maori experience in, in New Zealand was unbelievable, very spiritual. And when I went to the school with the kids, that was cool. Um, I done oyster fishing the other day. That was really good. Farming. Oyster farming, I should say. <laughs> oyster farming. Right. And that, honestly, she, that, her name's Sheridan. Unbelievable. Four kids running a business. She does everything. I've never seen anything like it. Today I met the, the greatest... I met the woman who makes the greatest croissants in the world at Loon. If you, if you actually Google it, it will come up, Loon, the greatest croissant in the world. Well, that's good. It's good, it's good timing because someone's asked, um, what, uh, what's your favourite part of Australia so far? And has it been the croissants, would you say? I'd probably say the Aboriginal welcome was really quite good. That was really good. Um, and there's a place in, um, in Sydney, I think it's called Felons. Brisbane. It was I had a drink there tonight. Wow. Can recommend. That's why I watched Japan, Spain. Yeah, it's brilliant, lovely. isn't it? Lovely spot. You know something? Um, it's What's been really good about it is how chilled everybody is. That's been really good. I really do feel like we've got Zen writing. Is that because <laughs> of the people they've like put that in you? Yeah. It's quite refreshing when people are just nice all the time. <laughs> you know, not saying not being nasty or something, or saying stuff. Hey, how you doing? I support Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. That was me when I bumped into right. <laughs> Funny because anyone, it's really weird, Jess, because anyone that says anything about Chelsea, because normally I'd say something rude or nasty back, but now I just think of you. <laughs> but it's been, it's, it's been really cool, Flo, with what, we, with what we've done and just hanging out and just seeing people and, just doing stuff. I, you know, I've done Zorb. Yeah, I need, I need Zorb. to ask Have about the Zorbing Zorb? because that looked really, really scary. You were Zorbing like down a hill. Did it make you feel sick? No, because when you're inside, you kind of stay equalised. Right. So you, you're in there with water and then when it moves all over the place, you kind of just stay like that. <laughs> but then you can, you can go all like twisty and round. It was really cool. I really liked it. I felt like I was like 10 or something. <laughs> Jesse, would you concur with um, Ian's assessment of Australia that everyone's very chilled and very nice? Everyone's nice, but I've got to almost make a complaint <laughs> because every day I wake up and I see what Wrighty's been doing <laughs> in these amazing videos. And I think, why am I sat just watching free football matches a day? <laughs> Uh, you need to get out there. <laughs> you got to get out more. Get in a Zorb. My experience has been a lot. I'm, I've not been in a Zorb, but I'm glad we've been to the same bar. So I'm clearly going to the right bars, which really, that's my main interest in it. Yeah. I don't want to go Zorbing necessarily. I just want to go to a bar and watch some football. So, you know, that's been my priority. 
Well, you, you got it covered then. It's... You did go see the Barbie movie though, Jesse. Oh, yeah. Did go see it's, the Barbie, Barbie movie. Good. I, I did really enjoy it, yeah. It made me laugh a lot, actually. It was a good, you know, like middle of the day, no football matches on experience to have. Yeah. And Ryan Gosling, wow. That's that's a man I want to base myself on, <laughs> you know, Ken, basically. Well, I'm, I'm glad we've caught up with both of you on your uh, Australia excursions and a New Zealand excursion so far. We've got a lot of football to get through because obviously today the hosts Australia, co-hosts Australia, I should say, took on Canada in that massive game. We saw Japan absolutely embarrass Spain. So we've got to reflect on those games and the other games in those groups. So let's get into it after this. Yeah, it was a massive day for Australia because it was a straight shootout for them against Canada to see who was going to make it out of Group B. A lot of pressure riding on them as the co-hosts, certainly didn't want to get knocked out, but they went and got it done and they did it in style as well, winning 4-0. Ian, you were at the game. What was the atmosphere like? It was amazing. Unbelievable atmosphere, even going up to the game. You know, it just felt it felt like something was in the air. You, you could feel like there was a lot of pressure. All the fans who were um, who were there, who were in and around, they were very nervous. I wasn't so nervous for them, um, simply because of who they were playing, Canada. You know, I believe that if they could score one, even score two, I don't think Canada, there's no way Canada's scoring three goals. I can't even see Canada scoring two goals. But I thought that they, they they just came out of the blocks exactly how you want to. They didn't get too emotional about the crowd and making sure, you know what I mean, just getting too emotional with it. They just done the job really, really well. And honestly, Ellie Carpenter, I saw her like ramping up the crowd at one stage and that was really cool. But the way they played and can I just say, Cooney Cross, player. I've already tried to tap her <laughs> up. The left side of Australia were fantastic. I thought they were brilliant. And the way they just bamboozled them down the left side, switch quick, Ailey Russell, bam, scored. It was just, it was just a performance what you needed. And if I'm going to be totally honest, they played the perfect team because Canada had nothing. They didn't have anything. Unfortunately, Christine Sinclair saw her interview at the end. It's beautiful, lovely, and really magnanimous. But unfortunately, you know, she just, she, she didn't offer anything. And same with Leon. I saw her do a couple of things, but not enough, nowhere near enough. You know, Fleming, it just, it didn't happen. Ashley Lawrence, didn't see her getting up the, up the wing, crossing. It was just a very poor performance. And the kind of performance that if you're Australia, you can sense that they're nowhere near it and just literally just blitz them. It was, it was, a, it was a job well done. Jesse, you were actually at the other game in this group between Nigeria and Republic of Ireland, but you said that everyone was just streaming this game on their phones in the stands because obviously it was such an important one for Australia. It was quite a smart tactical change from Tony Gustafsson, which really paid off, which was putting Ford uh, on the left-hand side rather than having her in the two in, for, with Van Egmond and that overlap that she could then have with Steph Catley, obviously the Arsenal connection, but also then Hayley Rasso had a bit more freedom on the right-hand side. That, from the, sort of like the first few minutes, Jesse, you could see like how much space they were going to get. Yeah, 100%. And I think that actually was why in that Nigeria game, it, 
it felt so hard for Australia because it wasn't just losing Sam Kerr, even though that has obviously been been the big focus, but also losing Mary Fowler, I think, was a real problem for them in that it then required Caitlin Ford to do absolutely everything in terms of leading the line. And I think, obviously, we saw tonight that... I, I actually do think Ford can do both, but yeah, she really excelled in the space that that was there. And I think especially as soon as Australia got those early goals and the Canadian defending, I just thought was so poor and they based so much of being good off being like, it doesn't matter that we don't score a lot, we can defend. And as soon as they conceded those goals early on, then it was obvious the spaces were going to open up because they had to try and go forward and then even then I think actually they were quite disappointing in terms of how they tried to go forward but yeah it, I thought I thought Rasso in particular in sort of the first half an hour was great in terms of the spaces she was she was able to find and then as the game went on you saw um Ford really really take control on the on the opposite side and I think for for both of those players you know to Ford maybe even more so than than Rasso but players who've sort of been in Sam Kerr's shadow for so long and like what an amazing moment for, for Australian football as a whole for, for a team without Sam Kerr to, to go and get a result like that to be able to top the group and to, to be able to, to get to the knockout stage of the Home World Cup. Ian, I know you spoke to Steph Catley afterwards. What, what did she have to say after that massive result? She was just, um, you know, it felt, a bit, it felt a bit like relief because they, they were under a lot of pressure. I was trying to explain. I'd done, I done um, some TV afterwards and I was trying to explain to them how you feel like well, how we felt a year today, you know, hosting one. And you know, I mean obviously we've won it, but like there's certain games going into it where you're just like so afraid. And then when you do get through that game, it's relief. They're relieved. Because now so many things can happen. Is Sam is Sam Kerr gonna be fit now? They've got what, seven days or something before the next game? You know, is she gonna be fit? I did, she didn't even warm up. She didn't do any warming up at the start. She didn't do any warm up during the game. She didn't do anything. Do you just- so, you know what I mean? It's- Would you think it was just mind games then? <sighs> I think so. I think they've been trying to get through these games without her having to be used. You know, obviously people are going to constantly be asking about her because it's Sam Kerr. She's like the number nine of the tournament in her home country. So all the attention's going to be on her. But the more that they can get these games out of the way without using her, the better it's going to be when they do finally need her if that's going to be seven days time, you know, because she's the half chance taker. When it comes down to it, if they're having to defend, if they're in a tight game and you do have Sam Kerr and she's, she's fit or fit enough because whatever happens with the calf, the calf is a, it's an awkward one. It's a real awkward one. That can just, that's not, a, that's not a good one to have. No injuries are good to have, but that having a calf with the explosiveness that you have to use it for, it's one of those that if it's not right, it's not going to be right. You know, so you're hoping that with seven days she's going to be fine because if they can keep themselves tight in a game and keep the game tight, she's a match winner. We spoke to Sam Lewis earlier or a few days ago about how maybe the pressure got to Australia a little bit and they felt like they were playing with that. And I felt like watching them in this game, although they've tried to be on the front foot in all the games that they've played, but this felt more familiar for me and it helps that they were scoring goals but it felt more familiar for me this this sort of Matildas with how aggressive they were but also how they were trying to enjoy the moment as well and it helps that that Rasso goal was early and it wasn't ruled offside and our robot bald overlords did rule it onside in the end (laughs) but at the same time it's like if that goal didn't go in 
I felt like some of the, the, the horrible, tense moments that we've seen from Australia this tournament might have reappeared. But having that early goal, it just became like that free, fun Australia again. And like Rasso was playing such, with such a smile on her face. Everyone just seemed to be enjoying the moment rather than in some of these other games where it's like, God, they are feeling the overwhelming pressure of everything sort of taking away the actual enjoyment of football and the joy that you're meant to get. I don't know if anyone else kind of felt that as well. I felt that they needed to score in the moment when they were putting that pressure on. Because I think the sooner they could get the goals against Canada, the better for them. So the longer it went, you know what I mean, the more you'd be a little bit worried for them. But like, as the game went on, you just felt like Canada weren't going to get anything simply because Australia for me just started so well you kind of felt like it's a matter of time, especially down that left side. You know, um, I didn't think Mary Fowler had done too much in the first half, but there was flashes of her where you're thinking, she's going to do so, is she going to do something? And then bam, they scored a goal. And then they scored the other one, which got disallowed, and they scored straight away. So while they had the momentum, they just kept it on, kept it on. And that is what you do. They needed to score when they, when they had the pressure on, when they had the momentum, and they did. And that is why when it was 2-0, I just thought, well, this game's over. It's over. I think that second goal as well, that was so key because when it got, the original second goal got disallowed, that felt like an opportunity for Canada and it had maybe the potential to um, sort of push Australia off that like forward momentum they had. But then to go and, I mean, it's a great run from Steph Catley to even get that that corner in the first place. But then the, the defending and the defending from Canada in general was just so, so poor. But the defending then off the corner and then to, concede almost immediately an actual second goal that for me just felt like a killer blow because they had been given a lifeline in terms of an offside decision that I think you know everyone gets but was also a bit strange uh, to kind of see it play out whatever it was disallowed that had happened then to to concede the actual second like that that just for me felt like I didn't see Canada coming back at that point even even though you know they only needed maybe one goal to like feel like they were back in the game it just felt like it was such a killer blow on Canada though guys they obviously entered this tournament as gold medalists and I none of us really expect them to do that well just because of how stodgy they can be in tournament football but this is a real low for them given their their status as world cup gold medalists and also uh, there's the crazy stat that they're the first gold medalist to not make it out of the the following world cup that comes after that which is pretty embarrassing Obviously, they have <laughs> quite a lot of issues going forward, especially they don't create a whole lot. But, Jesse, that defensive stability, which is their calling card, and it was a foundation in which they've always built on, and the only reason we, we were really giving them much of a hope of, of progressing in this tournament, that completely collapsed and evaded them. And then Bev Priestman makes four substitutions at half time, which is just sheer panic mode. And it doesn't really get much better I think we're both feeling like Bev Priestman could be going after this tournament because it was, it's been a, a bit of a disaster and the players were certainly very emotional at the end as well. Yeah, the, this Canada team is tough to assess, I think, because of the off-field stuff. Um, and they won't be the only team, I think, this tournament who, who you sit back and think, well, what could they have done if, if stuff off the field had been better set up for them? But at the same time, I do think lots of the traits that we've seen within this Canada team this tournament have been there for for a long time have e were even there when they won that Olympic gold 
And I know lots of people have posted the the Tobin Heath thread where where she was like, I still can't believe this Canada team won gold at the Olympics. It's kind of like, it seemed like a cold tweet, but you're like, she's right. Yeah, I'm with you, Tobin. This whole tournament you've seen also, though, that I just think Bev Priestman has no idea what her best team is. And okay, maybe that's not necessarily been so much about the defense. But when you're talking about the four subs at half time, she's like constantly been switching up the midfield, the front line, players coming in and out all the time. The amount of changes she's made over the past three games. I don't have like the number at hand, but just like from having seen her make all these like halftime switches. And today I'm like, you can't be doing that across three group games. Like I, there's a, I'm not saying you have to go full Serena and just play the whole, you got to find something at least like, because otherwise the players as well, like, Right here, I, I'm sure like you all have had experience of this, but you need your attackers to have the belief that you think they're gonna they're gonna score, not hooking them at half time in every game. Yeah, you need to know which midfielder is going to be playing. Who's going to give me a chance? You know, you got someone like Chris Christine Sinclair up front. Uh, you know, a veteran player. She can't be running about and doing. She's got to be a focal point. If she's playing, she's the age she is. She's experienced. She's she's got. Then. Surely the, the game plan has got to be funneling towards her so she can either link the play, she can hold the play, people can support her, she can bring teams to her, Leon, whoever, and then they can link and play in that third of the pitch. But you couldn't see anything. Everything was passing round the back. It went into midfield, it got cut out, and then bam, they, they, they brought it. It was like there was no pattern to what they were doing. And, with the amount of changes, with, you could feel there's no fluidity, there's nothing, there's no cohesion in the team. You know, it's a perfect team for Australia to be playing in this moment. Perfect team. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's it's a shame to see because you think to yourself, oh, well, we know one thing, they're going to be very stodgy, they're going to be like stoic, they're not going to give anything away. But at the same time, you're feeling like even Jess Fleming, I thought she might get on the ball and maybe try and do a bit, but to who? Who's she going to give it to? Who's she going to pass it to? You know, it just it just felt like, you know what, this there's nothing in this team. Unfortunately for them, there's nothing in that team. And you know, you could feel you could feel that Australia could see that. You know, it's like it's like a boxer. You're fighting somebody, you know, they 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 cannot knock you out. They haven't got the punches to stop you coming forward. They just didn't have it. So it was a case of can Australia score in the time while they're putting the pressure on in those moments while they had the momentum and they did. And in the end, they ran away with it. It's going to be interesting to see them in the next games. With Canada crashing out, obviously that opened the door for Nigeria to get through to the round of 16. Jesse, you were at that game. I don't want to get bogged down in the game itself because it wasn't a classic. It ended nil-nil. But Nigeria get through, which I think, you know, deservedly, I think it would have been harsh if Nigeria hadn't got through and Canada had got out of this group because across all three games, I think Nigeria have been really impressive. And also for England fans, sets up a potential round of 16, uh, which would be a really interesting matchup. Yeah, I will say I was on the bus back from this game and a dad broke to his son the news that like they would be watching Nigeria in the, the round of 16 game that's in Brisbane. And the son went, oh, I don't want to watch Nigeria again <laughs> because obviously it'll be the third game they played there. Um, yeah, I think that, I think they did they did deserve to go through 100%. Um, and they did it off their own merit, you know, like, yes, Canada sort of fumbled it, but like they 
they earned and played an amazing game against Australia to, to, to take the three points there. And that sort of freed them up to, in this game, just like, they seemed pretty chill. I was almost more amazed that Ireland didn't go for it more. I actually was kind of disappointed Ireland didn't go for it more because I was a bit like, you guys are already out, like go for the win. Um, but it didn't It didn't feel like they, they could get up for it. And yeah, like Nigeria have to take Oshwala off after like 60 minutes, for example. And I mean, they didn't offer much, but I think they they wanted to conserve their energy, understandably. Like they'd put in the hard yards against Australia to be in a position where they could just conserve their energy. So it was a pretty it was a pretty dry game. I think Nigeria would be a worry for I us. I think they were worried because the chances we're conceding are in transition. And that's where they've shown that they'll kill you. You know, that's that was what like I was at that Australia game and that that was where they got the better of them. That as Australia tried to sort of like push forward and go for it, they just had the players who were, who were ready to run the channels. And you know maybe in the England games we've seen so far, the opponents haven't necessarily had the quality across the pitch to make the most of that. Nigeria have the players that you know you can have a couple of runners and there'll still be someone in the box who's, who's ready to finish off a chance. So yeah, they they won't be easy opponents if England if England do top the group. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure like England won't have gone into this being like, oh, we think we'll face Canada or Australia. But you think in, in the back of their head, surely maybe Nigeria will be potentially a bit of a surprise in terms of who they will be facing in the in the knockout round. And if we do play them, they'll probably be quite confident um, in the way we're playing. Listen, Lauren James done brilliant. She scored a goal for us. And the first goal we scored in open play for how many, what, four games or something? We just don't look, you know, now no Kira Walsh. That's going to be interesting what we do there. But um, if I'm Nigeria, I'm probably quite confident about that because at some stage, we're going to have to, we're going to have to wake up. The sleeper is going to have to awaken, like June, like I saw in the June <laughs> film. The sleeper must awaken. And that's what we've got to do, Jess. The sleeper must awaken at some stage. We've got to fucking wake up. I was like, what is June? <laughs> June, June, the film. June, June. Oh, not so June. Dude. June. I know. I was thinking June, like June or July. I was like, what? Really gutted that you brought attention to it because I can't say June <laughs> unless I really focus. Look at my face. June. You did well. You did well. You know? But like, you know, it's just like we have to at some, something's got to happen. That's why I was calling for Lauren James. I'm so pleased she played. You know, I really, I'd like to see I would like to. I'd like to see Lauren Hemp playing. If I'm going to be totally honest, I know we're not getting a lot at the minute. I'd, I'd say I'm worried about Ella Toon's form. Um, obviously, Lauren Hemp got got left out the other day, and you know, Lauren James is somebody that is somebody that can create something. I've, I'm, I'm quite interested to see what she's going to do about us actually progressing the ball. Is she going to play five at the back so as we can release Alex Greenwood? I don't know what's going to happen. How we're going to get the ball through the pitch? and then get it to Lauren James. But it is a worry because I do believe that if I'm Nigeria, I'd probably put a lot of pressure on us. They're very physical. They're very tech. They've got some good technical players as well. But like, I could see if they put pressure on us, they could cause us a lot of problems. And it's if, if it is Nigeria. It's the risks as well, which just has been making me so stressed. And I've spoken about it after both games, which is just the risks that we're taking. And Jesse, we spoke about this after the Denmark game, which is... We're taking those risks because we don't believe that the opposition are good enough on the counter and in transition. 
But if we can't make that sort of game management adjustment and our fullbacks still want to push that high and we don't have Kira Walsh, we seriously need to be careful, especially when it's now knockout football this time. And we saw yep. Japan punish Spain so wow. quickly in transition. Wow. I don't want to be that guy watching my team get absolutely done on the break because... Cooked. Absolutely <laughs> cooked. Patatas bravas. Um, if if Lucy Bronze is pushing so high and misplaces a pass, you know, like oh I'm... Gosh. It's making me sweat a little bit right now in this very room. So uh, I just... It, it needs to be smarter. You've got to put more respect on Serena than comparing her to Jorge Vilda. That's that's low. That's low. I think you're right. Um, like I, I get where you're coming from. I do think that actually the losing Kira might be interesting in that factor because I think losing Kira will maybe make the fullbacks naturally less inclined to go forward because they they know they won't have that same kind of cover that that Kira can offer. The flip side of that is okay, but if the fullbacks aren't going forward what's the attacking plan mm. like where's the creativity coming from um and that would be i think you know why you would look to someone like lj to to play in a more central role to be able to get on the ball to be able to create from those kind of areas so you don't need the fullbacks to be pushing forward to, to get the wide players the ball um but it's going to be fascinating to see how they line up against china because it's it's going to have to be a whole rejig. It's going to be the biggest rejig of England that we've ever seen under Beekman because Kira Walsh has always played and she won't play. I wonder if Jordan Nobbs will get a game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I forgot that's that she'd even been selected for the squad the other day. That's because that's how little yeah. time she gets. She brought in Laura Coombs, which, you know, I mean, I saw she's done some nice things, but we just need somebody somewhere apart from LJ. We need somebody to do something. We need somebody else. We need something to happen from someone. Because I, I just feel at the moment we look quite robotic, even while Kira's playing. Because in the games that I, watched, I saw, she wasn't getting on and being as effective as we know that she can be for us. It's, you know, people are, people are closing her down. There's people, she, all she's doing, she's running across that line and she may be playing one touch back into there. She's not getting the time to turn and get the ball forward. So people know how to play us. And I don't know how we are now going to progress unless it's Alex Greenwood, because they're probably going to have to play Georgia Stanway six, aren't they? Yeah, I think that looks like the, that looks like the, natural, the natural conclusion at the moment. I'm really worried. I'm worried in that respect. You know what I mean? I'm worried in that respect. But like I say, maybe it's going to be someone from the bench, some someone else who's going to come on and, and do something that we we're not expecting, or is that already Lauren James has already done that? You know, so I'm a little, I'm just a little bit worried, and I, you go, I'm going to be worried because it's England, and even if we were doing well, I'd be worried. I don't know if the worry's ever going to stop. I think that's just the reality of being an England fan, Ian. I think that's just what we have to live with. There's one more game to go for England to put it right in this group before they move on to potentially face Nigeria in that round of 16 game. Uh, England need a point from that final mm. game. Let's talk about another group that's wrapped up though today, which was Group C. Now, this one was already decided. Japan and Spain were already through, but it was a really nice, mm. exciting matchup for, uh, to see who was going to top the group. And it definitely delivered uh, with Japan absolutely embarrassing Spain, winning 4-0. 
And um, the 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 stats of this were just There's so many amazing statistics. I sent so many to so many different people. Like, just look at this. <laughs> I sent them to my housemate who doesn't know anything about football. I was like, Mari, <laughs> they've had three touches in the box and they've scored off all three of them. That's crazy. She was like, cool. <laughs> it was like it was just like a, a medical marvel. It was it was unreal. The, one of my favourites one favourite ones, which is what Rich Laverty tweeted, which was that uh, Japan were only in the fi- in Spain's final third for 27 seconds in that first final half. third final third God, I thought it was the box no final third for 27 wow. seconds and they had three goals ridiculous that clinical I love it you know what I love about it is that when you've got a Spain what we saw with that game and what I love about watching it was watching really really good players just looking <laughs> confused and not knowing what's going on because you know what I mean you could see them Bon Mati Putaeus and most all of them, you know what I mean? Batia, all of them doing their stuff, but it's like, why is nothing happening? You know what I mean? They're playing in front of them. And then what was brilliant about Japan and what you don't see a lot of against teams like Spain and teams that do hog the ball in respects of um, possession is that they don't get punished with like half chance, bam, goal. Oh my gosh. And then half chance, bam, goal again. Half chance, bam again. Because normally, they don't get the ball for a while, they get half chance and they miss. And then a Spain will carry on playing and then they'll just wear you down and then you score and say, well, that was your chance to score. But Japan done it and they done it three times. And it was brilliant. I, the third one was brilliant. I was watching it on Optus and I was really upset about it because it was from Spain's corner. And I was watching Optus and, and um, I think it was Kelly Summers. I don't know who else was on with her, I can't, can't remember, but it was a brilliant one to, to analyse because, and I, they didn't even show it again. They sh- and when they did show it, I was even more <laughs> upset because they showed it halfway up the pitch. And I said, like, this started from their corner, for Christ's sake. So Spain had a corner and Mosa went out to do a short corner and so sloppy mm. with a layoff back to the corner taker um, that they, it, Ch- Japan intercepted it. One pass in, another pass in, three passes from there and it was a goal. And again, I was thinking, look at Spain with their arrogance and their, oh, we're so good on the ball. Oh, watch us, watch us. And then Japan just went, okay, we're watching, it. kiss the ball, bam. And it was just like brilliant to see. And it's really seldom that you see a team who have got so much possession get punished so clinically like that. And that is why those, those stats are so brilliant. You know, 27 seconds. That's all it was, or how many touches in three, the last Three touches. Third. Because when they three got Three touches oppor- in the box, wasn't it? In the exactly. first half, three touches in the box, three goals. And, and it's beautiful to see. It's beautiful to see because like, the, the, and, and then in the end, you're watching the game when they're freeing it up and they pass it around, all of them in that look, and you're thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're not even creating, it's just like, I don't want to watch this no more. It's done. I love that from Japan. Miyazawa with a, with a, you know, two really good goals. She's now what four goals in the tournament, leading the way for the Golden Boot. I what I really liked about her two finishes is that she finishes on the floor for both of them. So she's kind of slipping as she finishes it, but they're still both pretty impeccable strikes. Uh, and just like she, the, the the first one, especially because the keeper was coming out, the, the space was closing and for, for Japan to start that sharp and really kind of lay the fl- first blow that quickly and to say, right, now you're going to have to work your way back into this game and we're probably going to do this to you over and over again. It was just so, so fantastic to see everything just happen so quickly. And also we the, the, the stats, which obviously everyone knows with 
with Spain, they will dominate on the ball and they had in that first half, what was it, like 78% of the possession or 77% of the possession or something ridiculous. They had 77% possession the whole game, half-time and full-time. Yeah, which is just um, ridiculous. And we've seen this happen to to Spanish teams before uh, across the men's and women's game. But Jesse, this one feels particularly tough obviously for Spanish fans to take because of the Jorge Vilda situation, because of the Mappy and Patri and other situation. And also it feels like it's probably only going to get worse before it gets better. They can make, you know, maybe a a few slight changes, but it seems like there's nothing that's going to transform this team enough to actually change the trajectory that they're on. Yeah, I think it's important to say, first of all, that Japan did set up a very clever game plan, which Spain fully fell into on multiple occasions. Um, But thinking about Spain in particular, I thought defensively they were a mess. I don't know what Irene Paredes and Rocío Galvez were doing for large portions of that game. Um, Ivana Andres was unavailable. She is Jorge Vilda's captain. It sounds like maybe she won't be available for quite a lot of the rest of this World Cup, however long that goes on for Spain. He then has Olga Carmona as captain, which is kind of wild given the other players on the pitch. Hooked at half time as well. Like all of that just doesn't make any any sense to me. Um but there was obviously a big debate sort of going on about how how big a miss are a Mappy and Patri to this team. And I think that debate was going on in the context of how poor Spain looked defensively. But I actually think their biggest misses in this sense are potentially offensively. Because I think what Mappi and Patri offer this team, both of them, is that mid to long range ball, um, the, the, the passing quality there. And I think that is what can allow Spain to stretch teams. Whereas with the players they've got in, they rely a lot more on these shorter passes, which makes it so easy to do what Japan do in this game and just sit back in a 5 for one and not worry. Not to mention then you have someone like Jenny Hermoso playing as your central striker. Jenny is a player who likes to drop in. It, it, it can be a great quality at points because it gives you those midfield overloads. But you need someone who's running in behind and stretching defences if you've got the this... You need to try and move... Japan out of position and Japan were just so happy to be like yeah Jenny drop like no worries see ya because we're just gonna sit with these these two banks and like carry on going with with what what we want to do and not be bothered to move out of position um but yeah I thought I thought Spain were were poor just in that offensive sense you know I thought defensively that there were issues and maybe you can say Japan got lucky with scoring every chance they got. But I think also, crucially, the the three goals from three touches in the penalty area kind of stat also ignores the fact that those were opportunities where Japan had time and space to run onto the ball and think about how they were going to strike it. They're fantastic strikes, don't get me wrong. And maybe in another game, they don't score all of them. But equally, they're not... They weren't shots where they were being really, like, harried. Like, they... They had the space to take those opportunities. And actually, we'd seen that from Spain against Costa Rica and Zambia, you know, and it just played out in a game where it was a team who who had the the ability and the confidence and maybe a bit of the luck to, to score of them. Um, 
but yeah, it's a massive reality check for Spain. And I think one though that had all the hallmarks of of what this Spanish team's kind of always looked like under Jorge Vilda. Yeah, Japan going through and they're going to play Norway. Spain are going to play Switzerland. Probably two games that both those teams will get through. Um, but we we know that sometimes we get a bit overexcited early about sides. But do you guys think that this Japan team, given how impressive they've been, and yes, the Zambia and Costa Rica games were pretty straightforward, but do you think there are signs there of a team that could go all the way and win the World Cup, Ian? Um, I don't think Japan could. I think that um, they've got momentum and they've got confidence at the moment. But if I was going to say anything, I think looking at someone like Colombia and the way they play, out. Uh, our, our, their midfielders, our, their defences and our the striker. I think that um, the striker, what's the striker's name again up front? Ramirez, um, up front. She's arguably the best I've seen in this World Cup. She's been fantastic um, for Colombia. Obviously, caicedo has been brilliant, but I like them more than I'd like Japan. I think Japan, like we said, you know, they were very fortunate in being able to punish Spain because Spain were very slow, very lethargic in the way they're passing. They're not really moving Japan around quick enough to get Japan stretched so as they could pass balls through the line, lines. So, you know what I mean? Japan were very comfortable. I think that they probably get moved around a bit more with other teams. Um, and so we'll see how they go in that respect. But like for, for now, what they've done, they've shown that if you're ruthless against Spain, you score those chances early, you can drop in and Spain will not be passing at the kind of rate and, and pace that's going to hurt you and you'll probably be able to go and do it again. I don't think Japan will be able to go all the way. I, I don't. I think that Colombia could probably go further. Colombia, you have to say now, can probably do a bit more because they've got momentum, they've got strength, they've got pace. They've got kind of a lot more, I think. Ian, I know you've got a very busy schedule with all your travel diaries and 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 the like. So we're going to say goodbye to you so you can get some sleep. Where are you off to tomorrow? Tell us what you're up to. Now, tomorrow I've kind of got a day where I'm not really doing anything. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to go and just go, I'm going to go down to town. Um, just going to walk downtown and that. Because um, I'm quite lonely. <laughs> so um, Sad that you and Jesse aren't in the same place to hang out. I know, you guys go for some beers. Yeah. So... So I'm just going to, it's, it's really weird because like, you know, it's, it's just nice to be able to just walk around places and like, yeah, you might get, the odd person might say something to you, but it's just nice to be a bit lonely, oh. you know, oh, a bit lonely. <laughs> but like, um, I'm just going to hang, then I'm going to watch the Jamaica game and Brazil and then, you know what I mean, then back to Brisbane um, and then back to Sydney. Um, so I might be able to link, I don't know if I'm going to link up with Jess or not. What Jess is well, doing. we'll definitely see you in Sydney when we're all out there. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot and for we'll, having um, me. We'll see you in a little bit. We'll all be there in Sydney hanging out like one big family. All right, well, we've chatted to Ian there about loads of different stuff, about England, about Spain, about Japan, about Australia. So let's quickly touch on that huge upset. Colombia beating Germany next. 
I think this was probably my favourite game of the tournament so far yesterday with Colombia beating Germany 2-1. It had everything really with the surprise factor, the underdog factor, the special goal from Lida Caicedo, the late 97th minute winner, the drama oh, of I'm a penalty. I'm getting goosebumps as you're describing it. It was, it was so good and um, it looked like the atmosphere was brilliant in the ground as well and, and Colombia I think are becoming everyone's sort of favourite team to look out for. And I mean, Ian was saying there, he thinks there is a good shot this team could go all the way. I don't know. Do you think that's a very bold call, Jesse? It does feel bold. <laughs> um, but who am I to disagree with Ian, right? Uh, I think maybe what it taps into, though, is a feeling that none of the teams that came in as favourites ahead of this tournament have seemed invincible um whether it's england not looking great on on how they performed even though they've won whether it's germany losing whether it's the us drawing all of these teams spain obviously getting absolutely tonked as well all of these teams who maybe people are like oh they could do it have sort of shown that they've got flaws and that actually maybe this world cup is much more even than the ones we've seen in the past and to that extent yes like I do think a team like Colombia, it's almost... You have to describe them as underdogs 100% in this game. But I think in in terms of the result being unexpected, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far because I think they've shown um, repeatedly that, that they have the quality uh, to, to get a result like the one they did in the same way that I think Japan have shown that they had the, the quality and the tactical ability to get a result like the one they did. Um, but yeah, it was it was a fantastic win for Colombia. I I do think Germany were disappointing, and I don't want to take the shine off Colombia's, uh, you know, moment in the sun. Um, but I thought Germany were really really poor, uh, especially in midfield, given the number of players they have there, given the number of options and, and different ways they could choose to set that up. I think it was very very limited, um, but. Colombia made the most of it, you know, and that's what you've got to do in, in these knockout tournaments. If your opponent is weak, if they're not using everything they've got at their disposal to its maximum, go ahead and take advantage of it and, and take the three points and hopefully top the group. What you've just said there about all of these teams, like, you know, the tournament favourites showing weakness. Until you were saying that, I had my view on it was like, oh, good. Because it means that if we were to face them, it's not as scary because they've shown weakness. Whereas actually, I think what it might, what might end up being the case is that that happens to us. So that's scary. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely true that, that going into this tournament, it'd all been about that quarterfinal against Germany. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> and now I do think the pattern of this tournament so far has shown us that, you know, the expectations really, you shouldn't read too much into it, especially given how poor England have been so far. We definitely shouldn't read into it because any of these teams are really, really strong, even if they're not tactically or they haven't got as, not, um, as much depth or quality across the whole pitch. They have enough quality in the moments that matter and a lot of them are being clinical with very few opportunities and chances, which has kind of been the the story of so many of these smaller nations or lower ranked nations winning these games is they are just grabbing the opportunities and the moments with both hands. And some of these bigger teams are just being so complacent 
the way that they're defending everything, whereas it's, whether it's set pieces or just defending a player running into the box with some of the abysmal defending we saw from Spain today. It's like the, the way that some of these bigger teams are just underestimating the opposition is seriously coming back to haunt them, which is kind of amazing. Also stressful if you are a fan of the US or England or, or Germany. But it does make it a, a really fantastic tournament to watch. And I think it's going to be interesting to see where the limits are to this Colombian team because I think Germany certainly got punished for being lazy in really important moments and thinking, oh, well, like, you know, we don't need to rush out to her too quickly, Venegas. She's not going to score that header from the edge of the box. And what does she do? Get a brilliant header. And it's like, I think it's been a wake up call, especially for Germany. It'll be interesting to see what happens to them moving forward. I, about the second goal, I agree. But that first goal, like... Oh, the first goal You is can't do much magic. about that. That's yeah, magic. it's incredible. It's beautiful. So, I don't know. I mean, Germany... I, I agree, but there's also, like, moments of magic that you just cannot prepare for. I think Germany, it would certainly seem like they're in the mindset of, like, well, we, like we've got the point here. Mm. Um, and they, they, you know, they didn't need to feel like they need to defend the point. It was actually, we're going to push forward and try and get something. And then if Colombia get a chance, it takes a moment of magic for them to get it, rather than actually just, you could, you could talk your, or badly defend your way into losing this game. But also, Flo, can we, as part of tiny girl slash tiny person um, category with me, can we celebrate hot tiny girl summer with Vanega scoring that? We can. Header? Because she's yeah, deep tiny, tiny guys can do and, anything. Uh, tiny girls don't normally get the moment. Literally. I'm so proud of her as a fellow tiny gal that she scored a header. And what a header it was. And I it, screamed at home, anybody else? It was one of those moments where you just, I think it will go down in like World Cup history that because, and I, I did actually also really like Alex Pop's little um, chat and hug with Linda Caicedo afterwards. They had a, a picture as well uh, in the tunnel after the game. I thought that whole interaction was really nice. And I am a big Alex Pop fan she looks like such a sweetheart off the pitch and then an absolute beast on it so I think it's such a nice balance um, and the German vibes have really turned around I think you know with the koala with everything they heard you they, they heard me dissing their vibes uh, and it's amazing that down with war it's amazing that they now enter the final round of games second in the group which is just incredible with Colombia on six points that final round of games is happening on Thursday, uh, which is when uh, that group will finish. There are a few quick things we've got to rattle through before we uh, wrap up for today because we've been chatting. Really quickly, you'll be in trouble. Yeah, really quickly. Obviously, we needed to hear from Ian about all his escapades in Australia and New Zealand. But Norway go through after beating the Philippines 6-0. The tension is not over. The tension is still going. Ada Hagerberg didn't play, but they didn't bloody need her in the end. Um, Sophie Roman Haug getting a hat-trick. Uh, much better performance from them. Obviously, it's the Philippines, but Callaghan Granhamson was really, really good in this game. So Norway end up going through, scraping through by the skin of their teeth. They're going to play Japan. I wouldn't say it's looking good for the Norwegians and a lot of that tension still lingers in the background, Switzerland go through top of that group. That was in the uh, games that happened yesterday. New Zealand go out, which is really sad after winning that first game. They only really have themselves to blame. Canada and Republic of Ireland going out. Zambia, Costa Rica going out. England have their final group stage game against China tomorrow. Denmark 
face Haiti. Haiti still could go through if they beat Denmark and there's enough of a goal swing to put the goal difference into their uh, hands. And then also tomorrow we've got Group E rounding up. USA versus Portugal, which is a really exciting one. And Netherlands facing Vietnam. USA could finish runner-up in that group, which seems like... They could also go out. They could go out if Portugal beat them. But it feels like Jessica Silva, what have you got in the locker for me? There's some real panic stations going on, I think, even about finishing second in that group. We'll leave things there for now. We'll be back tomorrow reflecting on England's game against China. So we'll see you all then.